Uh, if you'd open your Bibles to Ephesians, we're in chapter 3, starting at verse 14 this morning. And if you have um, a bulletin, there's a handout in there that I hope will be helpful to kind of guide you as we go along. This past week, uh, I had a chance to take my first skiing lesson. Uh, anybody ever taken skiing lessons before? A couple of you? Uh, it's pretty ugly, usually. Uh, actually, I've been cross-country skiing for a while, and, uh, but, and I've been skate skiing for a while, but I'm basically self-taught, which means that I do most of it wrong, and so I have some things to uh, kind of unlearn. Uh, and one of the things that I'm finding out uh, about skate skiing, uh, along with a lot of many uh, other skills, is that it's a lot more about technique than it is about strength. And those of you that, that skate ski know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, my temptation, uh, I've participated in a lot of sports over the years, basketball, volleyball, mountain biking, and, and, and so I'm just kind of a sports junkie. I grew up as a gym rat in California. And uh, in, in any case, my temptation is to kind of fall back to sort of the muscle memory from some of these other sports where you, you use um, your legs particularly and you, you kind of rely upon the raw strength of your legs. And, and so that's my temptation when I'm skate skiing and I end up sitting down too low in my stance and my skis wash out and I look like a duck trying to, you know, trying to walk and it's a little awkward. So I'm trying to unlearn uh, some things and I'm trying to uh, kind of pick up this technique. And there's a certain feel to skate skiing. And when you get the technique right, every now and then it'll happen. Everything will line up and you'll get some, a good glide going and everything will fall into place and you'll just feel it. And it's like, oh, there it is. This is how it's supposed to feel all the time when I'm doing it right. And so I'm learning this, uh, and it's, it's fun, except for when it's this cold, then it's not as much fun to learn. Uh, and you all have experienced uh, learning new skills like this too, where it, where it has a certain kind of a feel to it, and it takes time, and it takes practice, and it's a lot more about technique. Remember learning to ride a bike, and you had to use balance and speed at the same time. And once you got that feeling, oh, it's, it's clear, it'll, it'll never leave you, you understand. Uh, or maybe learning to drive a stick. You're learning to clutch and accelerate at the same time. Some of you are still afraid of that. Uh, once you get it, you go, oh, this is no big deal. Maybe for some of you, it's you know, learning to operate heavy machinery and you're operating multiple controls at the same time or flying. You're working with your hands and your feet, trying to bring everything into alignment. Uh, and it can be a challenge. So there's a lot of these kinds of skills that we learn that have a certain kind of feel to them. And the skill that the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us this morning has a certain kind of feel to it as well. The Apostle Paul is trying to teach us how to learn to live with the power of God. You see, as as believers, as those who have trusted in Christ as our Savior, we are different. Something has changed in us. We have a new position before the Lord. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have power to actually obey the commands that Christ has given us. And it is a new skill to learn to participate with this power of God that we now have access to, that is available to us. And there's a certain kind of experiential feel to it. The power of God is not something that we can generate on our own. It's not something that we can manipulate. It's not something that we can, uh, that we can control. Uh, The power of God is something that is at work in us and through us. And at best, we learn to participate 
with what God is doing in our lives and through our lives. But it's in a, in a sense for a Christian, it's a new skill to learn. Learning to live with this new power that is at work within us. Um, and that's what the Apostle Paul is essentially praying for here. This prayer that we're looking at this morning, starting in verse 14, really is uh, the hinge of the book of Ephesians. In fact, there may be no more important section of the book as a whole than this particular passage. Uh, because he wants to really pray in all of this content that the Apostle Paul has shared with us in the first half of the book. Remember, the first half is largely doctrinal and theological. And the second half of the book is largely practical, that which you're supposed to go out and actually do. This is the hinge, joining those two parts together. And it's important because what Paul is doing is is sort of praying in all of these truths that we've learned in the first half. He sort of wants to pray into our hearts that we would know them more than just cognitively, but that we would know them at a heart level. We would know them experientially. We would have that certain feel of actually participating with the power of God that is now at work within us. And it's important that we get this here because if we just focus on the content of the first half of the book and all the doctrine and all the theology and we never pray it into our heart, we'll end up basically with dead orthodoxy. If, on the other hand, we skip that and we just go to the second part of the book and, and we focus on all of these, these things, these good things to do that the Apostle Paul will teach us here, but they don't come from a heart level of relationship with the Lord, then we basically will fall prey to legalism or to a performance-based spirituality. We need the content and the doctrine and the theology, and we need the practice that they lead to, and all of that needs to be wed together uh, with an understanding that is more than just cognitive, but it's known at a heart level, and that it is, it is just built and surrounded around relationship. Look with me, Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now Paul's looking back. He's referring to all of that theology, all that doctrine that he's taught us. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We could stop right there. We could preach on that for weeks uh, just to try to understand what's here. This is really, really a rich prayer that he's, he's offering. But in this first section, basically the Apostle Paul is, is saying that if we're going to learn to live with the power of God, if we're going to learn that skill, if we're going to be able to appropriate that, we have to understand that we have a new position before God. And we've talked a lot about this up to this point. First of all, that we belong to the Father. The Apostle Paul tells us that as a part of the family of God, we actually bear God the Father's name. In verse 15, from whom his whole family and in heaven and on earth derives its name. What in the world does that mean? We don't go around calling each other gods. Uh, what, what does that mean? It seems, it seems so ethereal. Uh, but in the ancient world, in the thinking of the ancient world, a name was a lot more than just uh, how we might distinguish one person from another. Rather than, this is Bill, and this is Joe. Uh, a name meant a lot more than that. A name was, in fact, the way that you might characterize a person's nature and their character and, and their overall demeanor or even just kind of the, uh, the general tenor of their life. And I'll give you a couple examples about this. 
Uh, you re- maybe you'll remember a couple years ago we went through the David stories and we learned about a fellow by the name of Nabal. And he was married to this very godly woman, Abigail. Nabal, however, uh, his name means fool. And Nabal is introduced to us in this passage as a fool. And his foolishness and the way that he interacted with David ultimately resulted in his death. And Abigail was able to upgrade on her husband, uh, actually, uh, if you'd call David an upgrade. But, um, so that's Nabal. Uh, also, think about what we have just read a few moments ago. Mary was told by the angel to name her child Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he would be a savior to his people. And so that's kind of the understanding in the, in the ancient world and sort of their thinking about the importance of a name and what, what it represented. So the fact that we're told here that we bear God's name uh, is an incredibly dignifying uh, statement about mankind's value and worth. Because God is a creator. And he is sovereignly exercising his control over the cosmos at all times, never ceasing, sustaining all things by the power of his hand. Uh, He is the one true God. He is the transcendent God. And so the fact that we're told that we have the privilege and dignity of being called by his name is just a remarkable truth uh, to try to grasp. I like what G.K. Chesterton says about this. He says, one of the greatest, or one of the, the hardest things to accept in the Christian faith is the great value that it places on the human soul. And we see that early in this passage here, that it's a part of the family of God. We, we belong to the Father and, and we bear his name. Think about how much this would have meant to the early Gentile believers. I mean, they had lived life as basically as spiritual orphans. Right? They were on the outside. They were the ones that were far away, removed from God, not a part of the family. Uh, but now, they have a family, and a father, and a name that, that they're a part of, that they can be proud of. It's an incredibly affirming uh, thing that's being said here. Uh, and it would have been incredibly encouraging for these these early Gentiles. And I think it's something that you and I need to kind of stop and pause and think about as well. Because we can go through life and we can face all kinds of adversity and struggle and disappointment. We can feel afraid. We can feel vulnerable. We can feel powerless. And we forget who we belong to. We are children of the Most High God. We bear His name. He's brought us into his family. It's amazing to think about, just initially to think, that before the foundations of the world, the Lord conceived of you in his mind. And he thought you a worthwhile being to create. And he made you as you are. And then when the ravages of sin came into this world, wrecking everything and wreaking havoc, he He set in motion a plan to reclaim you and to bring you back. And he didn't even spare his own son to do it. Being told that we bear the name of God is an incredible encouragement, an incredible piece of truth. And we need to hold on to that when we're struggling in life, when we're struggling with questions of identity or or difficulty. We bear the Father's name. And secondly, he goes on to tell us that uh, we're empowered by the Spirit. Learning to live with the power of God, we have to understand we're in, the, we're in a new position before God. We now bear his name, we belong to the Father, and we're now empowered 
by the Holy Spirit. And this is largely the experiential part that I was kind of alluding to with my opening illustration about skate skiing and sort of finding that feel, right? The Holy Spirit is, is, a, is, a, is a lot of the experiential part of what we're talking about here because the Holy Spirit is no longer this external reality to us. But for those who have trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit is an internal reality that interacts with us in our inner person. Before Christ, the Holy Spirit was just an external force that convicted us of sin. We're told in the scriptures that that's his job. His job description is to convict the world of sin and righteousness. That was our experience with him before. But now that we have trusted in Christ, he indwells us. And he empowers us. He still convicts us of sin, but now gives us the power to do what we were meant to do. And that's this new, this new experiential reality that we have. Uh, he empowers us from the inside out to live lives of obedience and devotion and worship. To do things we couldn't do before. Power is, is really an interesting word that comes up a lot in the book of Ephesians. And we've already talked about it. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Paul was, was talking about all the different ways that we would appreciate the power of God. And he, he sort of used a bunch of different words. I kind of likened it to guys standing around talking about their trucks. Remember? What kind of power do you have? Well, we can measure it lots of different ways. And the cubic inches of the, of the engine or the amount of cylinders or the horsepower or the torque or the payload or the towing or whatever. We measure power in lots of different ways. Uh, and, and probably the best way to really truly experience power is not just to talk about it in terms of metrics, but to experience it, right? It's to sit down and hit the throttle. There we go. <laughs> I knew it would come from this side, too. <laughs> I, a couple... Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a chance. I'm not a big snow machiner. I know some of you just absolutely love it. Um, it just sounds cold to me, but it is cold to me. But um, I had a chance a couple of years ago to ride actually a pretty hot machine. It was a Skidoo 600. I know there's 800s and thousands and whatever else, but for me, this was a hot machine. Usually when I go on a trip, whoever I'm with says, well, let's give the pastor the dog and put him in the back, and that's what I ride. But I got the hot machine this time. And, and I was told, this thing's got a lot of juice, so be careful. And I thought, okay, you know, <laughs> we'll be careful. And I just hammered the throttle. Holy smokes. I mean, my arms just went straight, like right now, and this thing just about wanted to go out from underneath me. And I thought, you could just, you could rip yourself right off a machine like this. And I did a couple of times, actually. <laughs> um, uh, we, were, we were actually riding up the Good Pasture River in about a foot and a half of powder, and it was just awesome just to just let her rip. Uh, we can talk about power in terms of metrics, and, and we can see it all written out in front of us, but one of the best ways to understand power is to experience it. And, and this is Paul's prayer for us, that we would experience the power of God indwelling us, that we would be empowered in our inner being, his prayers. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power, through his spirit in your inner being. He doesn't just have a little bit of power here either. Do you see that? Out of his glorious riches. And I can tell you that I don't experience the power of God in my inner being every day. I'm just being truthful. I wish that were different. I don't experience it every day. I don't experience it every week. I don't experience it even necessarily every month. 
But I can tell you that there have been specific times in my life where I have felt the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit in my inner being in a way that I, I can't even really put into words. And I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about some sensational kinds of things. I just mean that very strong and real and yet quiet presence of the Holy Spirit in our inner person. Um, If you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's at times when we need it the most that he is the most present and available for us. Uh, Some of the ways I've experienced it the most... Uh, even just recently, was where the Lord brought to mind a passage of Scripture that I had memorized 10 years earlier. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm memorizing Scripture, I'll actually uh, put a little date next to it um, so that I can remember when God used that particular passage in my life and when I committed it to memory so that when He brings it back up, I can go back and see the faithfulness of God. And it happened to have been 10 years earlier. Um, there's actually a, a woman in our church, I won't tell you who she is, but She's committed herself to memorizing the book of Ephesians. As we're going through, she's memorizing the section that we're preaching on. You want to talk about experiencing the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. She's giving herself a wealth of opportunity for that to happen because she's putting the Word of God away in her heart. Um, So I think recalling uh, passages of Scripture and memorizing them specifically for that occasion is helpful. I think another way that I have experienced the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit um, is when I use my spiritual gifts, and you all have one or two. Everybody has one. Not everybody has them all. Uh, They're given so that we might encourage one another. And and I believe one of my spiritual gifts is preaching or teaching. And I can tell you there are times when I feel completely inadequate to be able to open the Scriptures and to teach them or to preach them to you. I'm still preaching them to myself. But there are times when I, I step up here and I'm sharing and, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. Quite the opposite. I feel completely unable and incapable and unworthy. And yet there are times when the Holy Spirit will empower me and strengthen me through that in a way that I just can't express. And it just, it just feels to me like the Holy Spirit is carrying me along. That phrase really rings true in my mind, and I'm not claiming any inspiration or inspiration of the Holy Spirit or that kind of thing on part of Scripture, but just the experience of feeling carried along, that the words and the truths are coming faster and more clearly than I could generate myself. And for the, whatever spiritual gift you have, whether it's serving or administration or teaching or encouraging or whatever, that is one of the primary opportunities where you're going to experience that, that empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in your inner being as the Holy Spirit allows you to do things that you can't do in and of yourself. Spiritual gifts are not just talents. They may be talents before Christ, but after Christ, it's a spiritual gift empowered by the Spirit to achieve what you couldn't do on your own. I think a couple of the ways that I've experienced the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is when I get away from noise and busyness of life. I try to do it two or three times a year. I'll go off and get a cabin somewhere where it's quiet. I'll bring my Bible and I'll bring a notepad and a pen and that's about it. And I'll just spend some time praying and, and just actually being in, in quiet because it's so rare. Uh, one of my other favorite disciplines to do is when I'm driving around town is just to turn the radio off and turn everything off in the car and just let it be as quiet as possible. And my car becomes for me a little sanctuary in the middle of the week. 
These are times where you can make yourself available to the work of the Holy Spirit because he is in you. He is working in you. He is trying to encourage, empower, teach, convict all the time. And the problem is we don't attune ourselves to him. Uh, And we have an opportunity to do that. I, I ran across a quote here recently that really resonated with me. It said that we have to practice obedience in order to feel our faith. And I, and I would say that's another time that I've experienced the, experienced the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is through those tough acts of obedience. Not the easy ones, but the tough ones. Those, t- those ones that take you right to the edge of yourself and you absolutely have to lean on him and depend upon him. But Paul is praying that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being. We can't manufacture that. We can't generate it. We can't manipulate it or control it, but God is doing it. And the best thing we can do is to make ourselves available and to learn to participate with that power. The result of that is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, verse 17. Uh, And that is uh, sort of the third aspect of this new position before God, that we are indwelt by Christ. And the Greek word that's translated dwell here is a really strong word, and it means to take up permanent residence. It doesn't doesn't mean that Christ occasionally passes through our life and comes by and visits for a little bit. Or that he's present in this one corner of our life. Or over here. It, It means that he is at home in us. A permanent fixture of every facet of our life, not some kind of an occasional or awkward guest that comes to visit. But he dwells there. Our heart is his home. And, and I think sort of an interesting exercise that you could do is, is almost to draw just like a map of your own heart. Um, there's, there's actually a little booklet that would help you do this. It's, it's written by Robert Boyd Munger. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And I've cited it in your handout this morning. It's just a little 10 or 12 page booklet. And he talks about what it means to actually allow Christ to take up residency in us. And to be central in every aspect of our life. And to essentially open all of the doors of our heart to him. So that Christ is at home in every room in our life. Because I think what's common is that we often close doors to certain rooms. Uh, Sorry, Lord, you can't really be in my heart when it comes to work. That's, That's over here. That's mine. That's my room. You can have every room in the house, but you can't have my relationships. That one's for me. Uh, You can have every room in my house, but you can't have my money. Sorry. The treasury is my room. And we end up kind of closing these doors of our heart to the Lord. The Apostle Paul's prayer here is that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith that he would be at home in. And I think that means every single corner of our life. Learning to live with the power of God means first and foremost that we have to understand our new position before God. We belong to the Father, bearing His name. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And that we are indwelt by Christ. That He would be at home in us. And then He moves on in His prayer and begins to talk about how this gets fleshed out in our life. That is, how we begin to practice life from this new possession. Or new position. So we have a new position with Christ, and now we are to practice life from this new position. And this part really centers around a loving relationship with Christ. Look at verse 17, the second half of verse 17. And I pray that you being rooted 
and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Learning to live with the power of God means that we, it requires that we would understand our relationship with him is based in and sourced in his love. Uh, for those of you who love gardening, uh, the first word that the Apostle Paul used here, uh, uses here that, that uh, our relationship with God is rooted in his love. This is a great gardening term, isn't it? Uh, one of the things that many of you gardeners will do is to make sure that your plants will survive if you've planted them uh, by seed is you'll kind of harden them off, right? And you do, you do whatever you can to make sure that, the, that this root system is, is strong and ready to survive before you actually put it in the ground. Uh, the Apostle Paul is trying to make sure that we are rooted in love, that we are secure in his love. And the second term that he uses is sort of an architectural term, established, rooted and established. In other words, that the whole foundation of our relationship with God needs to be based in the reality, sourced in the reality of his love. Why would that be important? Why would that even matter? You have to remember again, this prayer is the hinge of the book, right? We have all of the doctrine at the front half, a lot of the practice at the second half. The Apostle Paul is getting ready to tell us all of these things that he wants us to do. He wants us to understand here, first and foremost, as we've already talked about, that we can do these things. We have the power of God at work, of us, at work within us, as we're, and we're learning to interact with that power. And secondly, it's important for us to understand our relationship with God, that it is rooted and established in his love for us. And if we don't understand that, as we get to the second half of the book, we'll run the risk of trying to perform all of these tasks that he's about ready to line out in order to attain his love instead of being propelled by his love. So he wants us to know that we have the power in order to do these things, but that it's all sourced and based and established and rooted in his love for us so that we will not try to earn or attain that. And then again, Paul prays that the power of God would help us grasp the vastness of his love. And he, he describes it in, in uh, different dimensions. How high and how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. And, you, and in your mind's eye, you can just imagine just this picture of love just growing and swelling in, in every possible dimension that the Apostle Paul can mention. Um, and he tells us that, that we, he asks that we would know this, this love that surpasses knowledge. So is Paul contradicting himself here? Know what you can't know? I think what he's, what he's basically showing us is the vastness of God's love will absolutely overwhelm and consume whatever capacity you have. But whatever capacity you have to understand it, he wants it to be completely filled. Some of you may have a gallon capacity. Some of you may have a 20-gallon capacity to understand the love of God. But whatever it is, as you understand him more and more, he will completely fill every, every square inch of capacity that you have to know him, and there will still be more. I, I actually believe that when we, uh, one day when we are resurrected and we receive our glorified bodies, 
that one of the aspects of our glorified bodies will be that we have a greater appreciate we will have a greater ability to appreciate Christ and to know his love. I, I don't think it's that we're just going to be able to perform all kinds of new things. I think we're going to have a much greater capacity to know and to understand the love of Christ. And I think that's why heaven will be heaven, because he will be there, and we will continue to take him in and appreciate him for all that he is. So learning to live with the power of God means, first of all, we recognize our new position with God. We belong to the Father, we're empowered by the Spirit, and now Christ dwells within us, that is, he is at home within us. Now we're learning to live with the power of God, which requires that our relationship with him is rooted and established in love, so that we're not trying to earn his love, but rather we are propelled by it. And finally, learning to live with the power of God means that God will perform his work in us and through us. This is where the performance comes out. We don't do it. He does it. He does it in us. We're just his instruments. We're the vessels. We're the conduits for the performance and the work of God. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think one of the most exciting things and probably also one of the scariest things about learning to live with the power of God is that it's, it's something that we can't control. Uh, it's what God is doing. And, and one of the things he is absolutely doing is that he is changing us. And, and the promise that we're, we're given here is that we will be transformed. The power of God is at work within us. Um, and I, I think a lot of people come to faith in Christ. I'm gonna cha- I want to challenge you a little bit here this morning. Some of you have come to faith in Christ. And you think the work is done. You think, I've crossed the line of faith. Whew, I'm in. I'm safe. I'm secure. Wow, glad I'm saved. And I just want to challenge you. You've just crossed the starting line. Not the finish line. God is at work in you. And he is transforming you more and more into the likeness of Jesus. The divine agenda for the rest of your life. I may not know you personally, but I know this. The divine agenda for the rest of your life, whoever you are, if you've trusted in Christ, is that you would become more and more like Jesus. Which means radical transformation. Day in and day out. And so in that sense, the work has just begun. It's God's work. It's what he's performing. It's what he's doing. He's at work within us. But we participate with the power of God that can change us and will change us. We can't generate it, control it, manufacture it, but we participate with it, living from this perspective of the vastness of of his love. And I think this would, again, have been an incredible encouragement to our Our insecure Ephesian believers, remember these guys? New to the faith, once Gentiles, coming out of the occult and sorcery. All the baggage that they had, all of the adversity that they were feeling in the ancient world there in Ephesus. All of these sinful attitudes and habits and the residual consequences of sin in their life. And here they're given the assurance that Christ can change you. The power of God can change us and we can learn to participate with this power. And that ultimately, he can work through us, in us and through us. 
And then in this last passage there, we're assured of this, that he will be glorified. The result is that he, not us, will be glorified. I think a lot of times we mistakenly put ourselves as kind of the, the end of this whole project. What God is doing is trying to make our lives better. He's just trying to fix us. And we're glad for that. But the end of all of this, what God is doing is bringing glory to himself by transforming us, by redeeming us, by bringing us into his family and making us more and more into the likeness of Christ. But it's about his glory, his honor, not us. So again, like learning anything new, learning to live with the power of God, this is going to mean that we have new knowledge, knowing our new position before him, practicing life from this new perspective. And the result is that ultimately... God will perform his work in us and through us for his glory and for his honor. Let's pray. Father, my heart really resonates with the Apostle Paul. I want us to know these things, not just in a cognitive level, but at an experiential level. It's easy to look at all the data, all, all of the doctrine. This is what you've done. It's easy to look at the list of things that you want us to do. But Father, the integral piece, that integral hinge in the middle of, of knowing the power of God, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and Christ dwelling within us, the security of our relationship with you, rooted and established in love, and that this is all for your glory. Knowing these things is the critical hinge Father, may we know this in our hearts. May we know it in an experiential way. May we learn to live with the power of God, participating fully in what you have initiated in us. Thank you for conceiving of us, for making us, for creating us, and for thinking of enough of us to reclaim us and to redeem us. We thank you for the opportunity this morning to remember that as we participate in the Lord's Supper. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.